Good afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later on the program, we've got a couple of very interesting uh, Harvard Business Review tips which uh, may help us with our business. We're also talking with Christina Sikiatis of a couple more of those case study examples that have come from uh, the convention that she went to in the U.S. But right now, it's time to have a chat with Steve Markey from Markey Insurance. Good afternoon, Steve. Afternoon, Julian. Well, well, thanks again for joining us, and, and we've heard all these uh, nightmare stories about people suffering loss and major injuries while abroad, or often there's cases where people don't have travel insurance or not enough insurance. Um, I understand that there might be some good solutions for business here. Um, yeah, there is. Uh, thanks, Julian. Uh, you're right. There, there's, some, there's some real horror stories uh, about people becoming ill or injured whilst travelling abroad, and I'm sure everyone's heard one. Um, unfortunately, not all of them relate to people whilst they're on holidays or personal travel. Um, so many business people travel within Australia and overseas for business purposes. It's just not for holidays, and, and often it's the employees that are the people that are travelling. So, mm. like as a business owner, you can protect your, the, your principals, your directors, and employees whilst they're travelling. Um, by purchasing what's called a corporate travel policy, where um, just like your last song, Julian, you more, get more, more, more. more. <laughs> so these policies are taken out on an annual basis, so the cover is active all year round, and um, that kind of eliminates the risk of forgetting to buy cover for individual trips. And believe me, we have a yeah. lot of people ring up the last, last day and minute. go, I haven't taken out travel insurance. So... Um, so, and also you've got to remember that the basic one-off travel type policy that you can buy online or often with the travel agents are fine for you know, personal travel, but they mm. often exclude business or mm. if you're working. So um, if you travel more than twice a year, an annual corporate travel policy um, is your best option. And it gives you comfort in knowing that you're covered for every trip and will certainly will save you money. So it is more, more, more. Well, well, you you say that the policy covers principals, directors, and employees whilst on business. Is there more? Does it provide cover for anyone else? Uh, it certainly does. The the beauty of the corporate travel policy is that it extends to cover many other situations and people. Um, and the major ones being, and this is a real incentive for um, business owners to buy one. It, it all private leisure travel of the directors the CEOs, the CFOs, the COOs, the GMs, or maybe another nominated person you, you would want nominated on a policy, covering all their private leisure travel um, and their accompanying spouses and dependent children. So mm. this is a major advantage is that these people will never have to take out a separate travel policy for any of their travels. So mm. that's the real big one. That's why a lot of people buy it. That's a, that's a self-interest type acquisition. Yeah. But... That counts. Um, it also covers incidental private travel of employees. Um, should they they do a bit of sightseeing after they've been on a work assignment, you know, a conference, or they've mm. been overseas to do a job, and they want a few days afterwards to do have a look around. Um, you often find that the age limits. This is a catch um, in many policies of the insured person is much higher than the normal travel policy. So. Some of them, the individual policies, they'll stop at 70 or 75 or 80. Um, the corporate travel policies now are really at 85 through to unlimited. Wow. Okay. So 
the older people. That's in line with um, us having to work longer, is it? That's because <laughs> the older people, a lot more older people are travelling. <laughs> and it is progressively being more difficult to buy the travel insurance. They're slowly changing to keep up with it, but the corporate travel's got it covered. And um, policies can also provide cover to people travelling with um, pre-existing health issues, another mm. big catch when buying um, mm. travel insurance, and, um, where it's often totally excluded by individual policies. So that's just a few, but some of them are pretty important. Okay, so the scope of people that corporate travel policy covers is very broad. What about the cover provided? Is it better than a single policy? Uh, absolutely, it, it is, and there's so many um, things we could go through as to why it's superior, but... Um, the main areas of superiority, um, as mentioned before, the higher age limits. Um, unfortunately, one that's becoming more of a reality now is terrorism. Like, there's no mm. terrorism exclusions in the corporate travel policies mm. in general. Um, a lot of the separate individuals do have terrorism exclusions. Um, there's a lot of limits in travel policies. Often they're higher in the corporate travel than in the individuals. Um, it covers things. This is we've had some classic claims on this one, costs for resumption of a business journey. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, with the classic example we had was where a client got stuck in Turkey due to the, you know, the volcano, which I cannot oh, yes. pronounce, <laughs> um, exploded and got stuck in Turkey, couldn't get through to the UK to um, attend the meeting that they had to go to, so had to come back home and go back a few months, you know, a, a, few weeks a couple later. of months later to mm -hmm. go <laughs> the rescheduled meeting. So... Um, and that's a reality when it comes to business travel. Mm. Um, kidnap and ransom covers, search and rescue expenses. Um, they can be very expensive, mm. uh, particularly in Africa and PNG. You can end up with un unlimited loss of deposit and cancellation covers. And, and another big, big one that's in the corporate is it actually has a section um, which will provide a weekly disability benefit should you be unable to work after you return from your trip. So it's like an add-on personal accident policy. Oh, okay. Yeah, and, and remember, this policy covers all work-related trips that are over, a lot of them are 100 kilometres from your normal working base. So for us in Newcastle, an overnight trip to Sydney is covered. It's always nice to listen to stories. Have you got any classic claims examples you can tell us about? Uh, there, yeah, there is some. The, the, the most common claim um, situation we do have is reimbursement of the excess for an insured person who has crashed a hire car. Oh, yeah. You know, quite, quite often they want to sell you the extra insurance, which costs a bomb. Mm. Um, with, if you've got a corporate travel policy, and often other travel policies cover it as well, but you've usually got up to around $4,000 to cover that, that excess, which you have to pay should you smash their car. Mm. So um, the one to watch there is uh, we have actually seen examples where in Newcastle, for example, if we're going to go to Sydney Airport, we'll go and pick up a hire car, take it home for the night, pack it and go the next day. Mm. There's a real catch where that little trip from picking up the hire car to taking it to your house it's quite not, often is not, not covered. covered. Yes. So you need to make sure your policy is extended to pick that up. Mm. Um, an example of the traps of, a, say, a cheaper individual policy is um, we had a client that suffered... Um, serious head injuries in Bali and had to undergo emergency surgery. Uh, unfortunately, the medical care in Bali is cheaper than it is here. So rather than flying the patient home, the insurer involved paid for the medical costs in Bali um, 
until the patient was well enough to travel on a commercial flight back to Australia. Okay, so what would happen in a corporate travel policy, it's more likely they'd pick you up and bring you home. Bring you home, yeah. yeah. Uh, another one, which I was personally involved in, um, although it wasn't my son, um, the director's son broke his collarbone while snowboarding in the USA. Mm. That, that's a classic claim. Um, had to get immediate surgery, which, as you know, is yeah, very expensive. expensive. Very good, but very expensive. And um, the corporate travel policies, they, they have a um, support service there, and, and they kicked in, spoke to the hospital, uh, and immediately authorised the surgery, which was about $30,000. Um, didn't cost the insured a cent, which well, is a lot less than if it happened at home. <laughs> well, all these policies sound great. Uh, what, you know, we can expect to pay a lot of money for them. No, they, they, you can pay around $750 markets where it might start, um, and that can give you up to 10 overseas trips and, say, 25 in Australia trips. Um, so, really, that's not much for that many trips. But if you, um, you know, premiums are based on the number of, um, of journeys or trips that you might declare. So, if you were doing, say, 50 overseas journeys and 100 within Australia, the premium might be more like $1,500. Mm. So um, that's still pretty good value. <laughs> so what you also need to be careful of is most policies are based on white collar mm-hmm. um, type work being done by people when they're travelling, so attending meetings, conferences, looking at jobs. Um, if you're sending a team of blue collar workers over to do a job, then you'd need to declare that to the insurer and it gets rated accordingly. Mm. So obviously blue collar's in white, so. well, well, great. Well, thanks for your time, Steve. It sounds that uh, obviously someone doing a lot of travel should investigate into these, and uh, I believe we're going to uh, have a chat with one of your colleagues next time about income protection. Yes, I'm looking forward to talking in, talking um, in my, my colleague into having, having a chat, chat about the income protection for everyone. So, Thank you, and we'll thanks. talk to you again another time. Thanks, Julian. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Steve Markey there from Markey Insurance. Yes, the great value of having that uh, travel insurance. And you're listening to Business, the Law and You on 2NURFM 103.7. Time to pop over to uh, Christina Sikiadis, who I'm sure was uh, dancing around herself. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. Do you have buy through glasses or something, (laughs) do you? No, because you started to sing the song when you were on the phone a minute ago, so I knew (laughs) you'd be dancing. Yeah, I guess I do. Yeah. Anyway, well, I'll just leave that to everybody's imagination, shall we? Um, we're going to talk yeah. about Seth Godwin and a couple of examples from uh, your conference here. Yeah, and Seth was a remarkable um, speaker and mark- ma- remarkable marketer. And anybody who's seen the Purple Cow will um, realise the, the emphasis on remarkable. And if they haven't, they should go to YouTube and Google Purple Cow Seth Godwin. Uh, and have a look at it. But he, he did this very, he had, had a very interesting slide and, and talked about it quite a bit. Um, and in the middle of the slide, so he had, a, if you can imagine, a few circles. And he had the product or the service within, at the very centre of the circle, which we know in a marketing sense is, if you, you need that, that thing to market. The next layer was to, um, to, was to visualise, was to tell the story about the support and the usability of that product. So how does that product or service support your clients and how is it usable, how easy is it to use. And if you remember the conversation that we had last week um, about everything coming from the client perspective, Mm. that is all done from the client perspective. The next layer out from that is story, your tribe, your community, who is it that, who is the group that you're wanting to attract? And a lot of the times he made reference to um, our tribe. So we're, we're not 
a bunch of, of, of whole, um, a whole community anymore. We actually have individual tribes. And he talked a lot about standing out, being different, and we actually don't want to attract the laggards. So it's not the people that are, that are slow on the uptake, and we don't want everyone in the community to take up our product anymore because there are so many products. But we pick the tribe particular to the product that we're offering, and that's where we direct our marketing messages. And the marketing messages these days are all about, again, things that we've been talking about, trust, authenticity. The product has integrity. The person selling it is authentic and real, and they're telling real stories. They're not making them up. Mm. Um, so any, any, if you like, traditional words like spin, hype, the advertisements, all that kind of stuff, the likes you get on social media... They're, they're the last layer of the marketing message. So the first mm. thing we want to be telling people now is about the product or service and how it will actually serve them. He also made some really interesting comments about leveraging um, from what we already know. So, for example, in the Industrial Revolution um, time, uh, where efficiency was the key, and he gave the example of Henry Ford, who only made black cars mm. because the black paint, A, dried four times faster Quicker. than any coloured any colour, cost four times less because mm. they were only making one colour. So there was that kind of mass production, but it was mass production for a particular tribe, if you like. Mm. Um, so it all it all kind of ties in and it's all very relative. Again, back to the client and back to the efficiency of what you can do. Mm. It's, it's amazing that I mean, those principles have been around for, well, ever since marketing probably, but so many people just do not follow them, unfortunately. That's right. That's right, and I think because we got away from um, from the basics, like we mm. got away from a, a workable, trustable, real product. You know, we got away from the things that we rely on and that we know are going to work into what's new, what's what's fantastic, what's fly by nightish. Mm. Um, and now it seems like we're coming back full circle, but in a whole new era and in a whole new way. So, basic core principles really never change. Uh, and now you've got another event coming up in July sometime. Yeah, yep, we've got the Hunter Innovation, yeah, Hunter mm. Innovation Festival coming up um, from the 14th to the 17th of July, and we have spoken so much about collaboration. I'm so thrilled to be able to say that this festival is a real collaborative event, um, even to the point where the events themselves are collaborations between mm. various organisations. We've got a couple um, more weeks, so we can probably talk about that uh, over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, we can. And if people want to keep an eye out for the Smart Ideas competition, um, that's it's being featured in the Herald, uh, and it, it's um, going to feature three smart through the Smart Ideas for the city. So, right. if want, people want to have a look for that, that'd be great. Thank you. We will chat with you again next week. Okay, terrific. Look forward to it. Have Thank a great you. week. Bye bye. Bye. Christine Sikad is there with another some interesting comments. It's, you know, nothing changes, but we do need to be innovative. Well, we've just got time for one quick Harvard Business Review tip, uh, and this one's a very important one, I think, because it deals with late-night emails. If it's 11 p.m. and you've just remembered something your team needs to do tomorrow, it might seem like a good idea to send them an email while you're thinking about it. Well, it's not. If you're emailing late at night or on weekends, most employees think that a late-night response is required or that they'll impress you if they respond immediately. Making them be always on hurts results. A frantic environment that includes answering emails at all hours doesn't make your staff more productive. It just makes them busy and distractive. When they're constantly monitoring their email after work, they're missing out on essential downtime that their brain needs. 
creativity, inspiration and motivation are depletable resources that need to be recharged. So refrain from after-hours communication and be clear about expectations. Set up policies to support a healthy culture that values downtime. Some interesting comments there, isn't it? Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we'll visit the text world with Tony Vidray. We'll have another minute on innovation and other interesting comments that may help your business. I'd love your company again for Business, the Law and You at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as Lucille Ball once said, if you want something done... Ask a busy person to do it.